You're gonna have a hard time giving up this bedroom, home sweet home? <laughs> that uh, I won't miss. <laughs> have you done that the whole time you were in Congress? Yeah. Why? I'm cheap and poor. <laughs> and even if I wasn't, I'd do it anyway. Just easier. Hey, I'm John Harwood, host of CNBC's Speakeasy podcast. This week I caught up with Senator Jeff Flake at his office on Capitol Hill. As for some of his peers, it doubles as his home when he's in Washington. When he announced his retirement from the Senate last fall, Flake emerged as one of the strongest Republican critics of President Trump. He's always had a reputation as a politician with principles. I asked him which of those principles is most important right now. Being a conservative, I've always felt, is uh, believing in limited government, economic freedom, and individual responsibility. I had a few free trade, immigration, those kind of things, but uh, limited government is the toughest one for uh, conservatives to hold on to. And uh, we've strayed a long way from that, as uh, we just saw with a budget deal last week. But there are ideological principles. There are principles of character. Right. There are principles of national security. Yes. And the reason I ask the question is that you have described in the speeches that you've made challenging the president, some actions that he's taken, you've talked about threats to constitutional right. democracy and echoes of Joseph Stalin. So how, how important is that right. uh, in your hierarchy right Well, now? In, the, in the book I talked about uh, being a conservative is not just believing in limited government and economic freedom. It's, it's uh, being conservative in comportment and demeanor. Um, and that's important when you deal with foreign policy, for example. Uh, you've got to be reliable and sober or your allies will no longer, uh, you know, want to be with you. Uh, you want to be But that sounds uh, you more like manners than about national protection. Well, words, uh, I think it goes how together, big a frankly. do you perceive to the country from the political moment that we're in right now? No, I, I think it's a big threat. And, and it is, I mean, it is, those are character traits, I guess, to be uh, temperate and uh, measured, uh, I guess. But, but that's important um, for our allies to, to know that we're going to be there, going to be reliable, for trade partners to know, and for our adversaries uh, to know where we are. Instead, uh, we, uh, we seem a little unreliable, or a lot unreliable, in terms of uh, trade agreements or security alliances. Um, and then when we have the president using language uh, that really is uh, you know, not becoming of the United States president, uh, uh, calling the press the enemy of the people, to see his term, fake news, used by authoritarians everywhere to justify cracking down on dissent. Um, you know, those, those character traits uh, that are conservative, that are really absent now, uh, really, uh, I think, put us in danger. Do you think an authoritarian power overseas has managed to compromise the U.S. government? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. And I'm not uh, one of those run around calling for uh, our president to be impeached. He's done nothing, uh, in my view, uh, that would warrant that. Uh, but I do think that uh, the behavior he sometimes exhibits and some of the policies that he has adopted uh, aren't good for our national security. But what have you concluded about what Russia did, what um, uh, the president did or didn't right. do with respect to that, and 
what danger that poses well, as a matter of national security. I can tell you, uh, Russia did interfere in our elections. Um, it seems as if they did it to benefit uh, one of the candidates. I'm not saying that that was dispositive. Mm -hmm. That's what made the difference. Uh, but that, well, that did occur, I think. All of our intelligence services right. accept that. And we had a hearing yesterday uh, where our intelligence services, uh, one by one, I think made a very compelling case that uh, Russia is going to do it again. They never stopped trying. Uh, they're doing it in other countries as well. And what troubles me greatly is uh, I'm not aware of any cabinet level kind of meeting or any high level attempt to actually get a handle on this and to figure out how we're going to respond. Uh, that, that is very troubling. Well, so this, this notion to, to just, uh, the president seems to want to you know, protect his status and doesn't want people to think that he was helped in this election, that's fine. He's the president, I accept that. I think everybody accepts that now. Now let's get to the business of, hey, how can we best combat uh, Russia's uh, intention to intervene in our elections? What do you conclude from the absence of that government-wide yeah. response from the president's refusal to uh, criticize Russia, right. to impose standards, uh, uh, sanctions against Russia when he had the opportunity recently? Um, what do you conclude from anything that you've learned about Russia about whether the president or people close to him had anything to do with it? Well, I, no, I, I'm not among those who think that the president is compromised or that uh, they colluded in a way. No, uh, really, no. I, I don't think that the campaign colluded in some meaningful way. Um, I don't think that they were organized enough <laughs> or competent enough as a campaign to do that. But it is troubling that they won't accept that that kind of intervention uh, was happening on the part of the Russians and uh, won't look to combat it. But I think it's more out of a, a sense of trying to protect his status of somebody who won the election. Mm -hmm. and, and you see that insecurity uh, in terms of crowd size or lack of applause. Um, you know, so I, I, I chalk it up more to that. Uh, not that it's any less dangerous, but uh, but it's not. I don't think it's a, you know, I'm beholden to them somehow or worried uh, that they have compromising material. I, that's that's not my view. Um, but, so but, people, it, it, but I'm not. Uh, I, I hope that uh, Bob Mueller continues to investigate. I have confidence in him, as much as I did when he started the investigation. So when people would say um, that, say people like you who have criticized the president right. have not um, take an action commensurate with the threat right. that you identify, threat to constitutional democracy. Your answer is you, you think that this is mostly something that happened that the president did not help make happen, um, and therefore it's somewhat less grave. Well, uh, like I say, I, I think that we do put ourselves in danger when we fail to assess the threat and, and take action. Uh, so that threat is real, mm -hmm. and Russia will continue to, to do it. Uh, um, but this, in terms of, uh, you know, some people think, well, if you disapprove of some of the president's actions or his, his uh, behavior, then you ought to vote against everything that he supports. Uh, for example, when the health care bill came up, uh, which I had voted 30, 40 times to repeal and replace Obamacare, mm -hmm. all of a sudden people expect me to vote against it because the president shares the view of Republicans in Congress. I don't view it that way. That's not my job. 
but it's also but, but I think not the my job say, to ignore that kind of thing because he's the president of my party. I think that we ought to, we're a separate branch of government, and uh, um, I, I think that we ought to act like it, and sometimes we don't. The, um, uh, I think the argument of the people who make that right. criticism is, and you, you may have seen the piece that uh, Ben Wittes and John mm -hmm. Rauch did in The yeah. Atlantic recently, where they right. said Trumpism is a threat yeah. to, uh, to the institutions of the United right. States. Republicans have become the party of Trumpism, therefore, everything he is trying to right. do needs to be stopped in the higher interest of protecting mm -hmm. those institutions. And I understand that impulse, and uh, that impulse was there as soon as Barack Obama was elected. Uh, remember, uh, um, our majority leader uh, made a statement about uh, you know, our main job. I think it was kind of misinterpreted, mm -hmm. the statement. Uh, was to make sure that Barack Obama didn't get a second term. Right. And that, I tell you, the, the other side of the aisle went nuts on that statement for, for years. Um, I didn't think it was a good statement to make, even if it was misinterpreted. But now, um, you know, the tables have turned, and it's kind of the same argument on the other side. There may come a point at which you say, hey, this is a, a grave threat, and, uh, and you, you can't agree with anything the president does. We're not there. Um, I, I think that I, I will work with the president when I think he's right. Uh, I'm trying to work with him on a DACA solution right mm -hmm. now, for example. Uh, but I'll oppose him when I think he's wrong and I won't be afraid to, to speak out. And do you, do you consider Obama and Trump comparably benign in terms of the um, uh, danger to the country? Well, I, I think that uh, you know, with regard to our standing in the world. Uh, there are a lot of things I disagreed with President Obama on with regard to foreign policy and domestic policy as well. Uh, but, I, but I always felt that uh, he honored our alliances and uh, uh, wanted to go forward with uh, trade agreements and was uh, willing to, to, I mean, work within the confines of this rules-based international order that we helped establish. <laughs> And so I, I was less concerned about uh, so this how we're perceived. Yeah, it's a bit different there, but it's, it's not uh, as if I think the president is intentionally trying to undermine mm -hmm. our, our behavior. He has a different philosophy and is, uh, I think, a bit careless sometimes. When you talk about competence a minute ago, what do you conclude from uh, the Rob Porter situation about right. the competence and character of this White right. House? Well, I think it was handled extremely poorly. Uh, some of them have admitted that, I guess. Uh, others, not so, not so much, but it was handled poorly. And there, there is a problem long term if we have you know, dozens of people uh, acting on interim security clearances, uh, you know, viewing classified material, handling classified material, and getting those briefings. It's not a good situation. I've already written uh, to the administration asking for answers on a few things. Do you think the president needs a new chief of staff? Um, I, you know, that's, that's his choice to make. Um, I, don't think he was, I don't think he was well served on this issue. On other issues, uh, you know, he's been better served. I've had uh, disagreements with uh, the, the chief of staff, uh, but... Uh, so do but you think this is something this is, he this could is get more, passed and be effective? I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see, but uh, probably. I mean, this is a tough job. Mm -hmm. Anybody who has a chief of staff job in this White House has got his work uh, cut out for him or her work cut out for her. Right. When you wrote a check to Doug Jones, right. the Senate candidate in Alabama, Democrat, uh, you wrote country over party. Right. 
I just want to ask you about that in light of two votes that you made recently. Um, one for a partisan tax bill that increased the deficit, mm -hmm. the other against a bipartisan spending deal that also increased the deficit. Uh, so were you picking party and ideology over consensus view country, no. if you will, in, that, in those circumstances? No, I, I would have written the tax bill much differently. I would have done the corporate tax reform, which we desperately needed. Uh, both sides of the aisle really knew that we needed uh, corporate tax reform. I would have left the individual rates as they are. That's what uh, Bob Corker said contribute. at one point. We should take the corporate stuff and throw the personal stuff in the trash. Was yes, that you, yeah, that's that, what you thought. That was my preference as well. In the end, uh, we didn't have that choice. Didn't you have the power uh, to make that happen? Since, no, <laughs> and, since uh, very small numbers of people could take the bill down. No, it would have taken two or three. I was only one, uh, but uh, but but it did. I mean, corporate tax reform needed to be done. It really did. I do believe that uh, the president has helped with the regulatory state. Mm -hmm. um, Congress has done some work, so has the president. I think some of the appointments uh, to the courts uh, will help make this, uh, you know, the regulatory environment uh, more conducive uh, to growth, uh, and our tax policy is more conducive to growth. I do think that that will, uh, I'm a supply sider uh, with limits, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I do think that that will yield uh, greater economic activity and you don't have to have much to outpace where we would have been. Uh, so I can accept that. But you that. accept that it will increase the deficit yeah, and you're uh, okay in, with in that. In the short term, yes. Uh, and, uh, but in the long term, I do think that uh, over 10 years, um, the difference between uh, the, the 1 trillion or 1.5, if you take the outside, over a 10-year period is uh, uh, 41.5 trillion rather than 43. Mm -hmm. um, it only takes 0.4% uh, economic growth yeah. uh, to, to make up for that. And so I'm enough of a supply sider that I see the benefits mm -hmm. there. With regard to the budget deal, oh my goodness, uh, I don't know how in the world you can justify that. Um, and, 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 and part of the problem with the, the, the tax deal as well, I, I would have done the tax deal differently, certainly. But the, def the but, amount but, of deficit increase over 10 years is about the same as the... No, but, but here with the tax deal, we have something called PAYGO. You know, and some of my colleagues uh, during this time uh, when we were talking about automatic triggers, that uh, we could only have certain tax cuts if something was, was triggered, they say, well, why don't we do the same thing on the spending side? And my answer was, we have it. It's already in statute. It's called PAYGO. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we waive it every time it comes up. And we did. And there were only three of us, myself included, who voted against waiving the PAYGO cuts. But, uh, but this, this budget deal, I mean, this, this just uh, was obscene, frankly. Uh, the, the amount of uh, increase, about 13% across the board, not even taking into account OCO, uh, overseas contingency account and other spending that will be off budget and we won't even count. It's very difficult to see our party just kind of throw away that major tenet of uh, what it means to be conservative. Now, uh, on, on the tax bill vote, one of the things you secured before voting the right. bill was a promise to do something about right. the Dreamers. Uh, given where we are now and given the prospects for actually getting a legislative solution, uh, you could argue that you on DACA, just like Senator Collins on uh, uh, marketplace fixes mm -hmm. for healthcare, simply got taken. I don't think so. We have a process right today that we're going through. Uh, I had asked for it. What's going to come out of the end of the shoot of that before, I don't know. You can't ever guarantee that. 
you can't ever say, I demand for this vote passage of my version of DACA. You can't do that. All you can say is, I want to vote. And we haven't had that kind of thing in the Senate for a long time. An actual process of debate where you don't know what's going to come out on the other side. In fact, one of the last times we had it was in 2013 with the so-called Gang of Eight bill, what do you which think I was involved happen? in. Um, but, uh, but anyway, we're, just to finish that, mm -hmm. what I ask for is a vote before the end of January. We got it on January 8th, so a week later. I wish it would have been before the end of January, but we're off a week. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, we have a bipartisan proposal on the table that uh, will come to a vote um, that will be, if it's not 60 votes, it'll be pretty close. Um, that's all we you can do. You don't think it can get 60? I don't know. I don't know. It depends some because on the, the order thing, in which uh, these are brought up. Because w one of the things you you got was a commitment to consider. The president's laid out uh, uh, conditions right. that include reductions in legal immigration that I think uh, go against right. what you think makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and then you've the talked grass about a narrower deal, but it doesn't yeah. seem yeah. that that's well, in the prospect. The, 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 the Grassley bill that we will vote on, uh, I have an amendment to bring uh, the visas in terms of overall visa numbers. Uh, to basically hold harmless uh, so we don't have a decrease in legal immigration over time. Uh, we can't do that if we want this economy to grow. We have better tax policy now. We have good regulatory conditions. Uh, what we're missing is a workforce. And when we have Cutting legal virtual immigration is directly harmful to the U.S. economy. Is that not the case? Yes. Yeah, I, I think uh, somebody wrote, I think Fred Hyatt in the, the uh, Washington Post the other day, you can be pro-growth and anti-immigration, you just can't be both. Mm -hmm. And and that's very true. We're gonna need increased immigration uh, in the out years. And so that's why I can't vote for the Grassley bill unless it includes that. Uh, but we will have the bipartisan bill will be a narrowed down version. It will touch three of the pillars, but not the fourth. The one that we really can't touch right now is diversity visa. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is the president's statement on the African countries. And, and so, I mean, our inability to deal with that issue politically was a direct result of the president's statement. And uh, so that's, that's gonna be difficult to get through. It, it, whatever happens on DACA, do you believe that this Congress will pass reductions in legal immigration? No, I don't. Um, you know, anything that, uh, that does that would have to pass 60 votes in the Senate and uh, there aren't those 60 votes. In fact, I, I don't think there's a majority of Republicans who would go for that. In fact, I know they're not. Going back to, to country over party and the question of potential threat to the country by what's happening, by the current administration. Right. Do you think that to check and curb that threat that the country needs divided government right now? You know, uh, with regard to, I was quoted saying last week, and I've said it many times before, is that uh, the best formula for fiscal restraint is divided government. Um, when you look at every good budget deal that mm -hmm. we've had over the past uh, uh, several decades, frankly, whether it's uh, Graham Rudman Hollings or the Budget Act of 97 or even the sequester, if you didn't like it, at least it was budget control, it was all done when we had divided government. And so, uh, yeah, that's uh, in terms of the biggest issue facing us. So this fall, do you view. want to see more Doug Joneses <laughs> elected to the House there and there Senate? Are, there are advantages to, to, for Republicans to control, but uh, one of the disadvantages to having any party in control 
is uh, fiscal discipline that just goes by the wayside. Have you contemplated post-Senate uh, life? Uh, Bob Corker seems to have contemplated and decided it doesn't look so good. He's changing his mind. I, 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 I haven't changed my mind. No. I've been doing this for 18 years. Uh, I was in the House for 12 years and here for six. That's a pretty good time. What, what and, are you going to uh, do? I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm not uh, swearing off public office. I'm not leaving because I don't like this place or uh, I don't like the people here or the system. This is a wonderful system, uh, wonderful people as well. It's good work and it's an honor to represent Arizona. It's just, it's tough for somebody like me in a party like this right now. Well, and so, so does that uh, mean we well, should take seriously the possibility that you might actually run for president? No, I'm not saying that. I, I have no plans uh, to run for another office, but I'm not uh, swearing it off. Okay. And okay. I'll see what it comes. And la last question, in, in how you're coping with this moment, is part of your thinking, part of your impulse is to um, uh, speak out, but temper the amount that you speak out to preserve your viability politically going forward? Well, I want to be effective in my final year here. Uh, I think that's uh, the best. Somebody, and part of my calculation of leaving or announcing I was going to leave is I think somebody needs to speak out during this last year who is a sitting senator, who has a forum and a platform to do so. Uh, but uh, like I said, I'm, I'm not uh, going to oppose the president out of spite. Uh, I'll oppose him when I think he's wrong. Um, and uh, so I'm going to take every opportunity uh, over the next year uh, to, to be a good senator from Arizona and speak out. And when I see areas where I think the president is taking us down uh, the wrong path or when I see uh, our constitutional government um, in danger in terms of separation of powers, uh, I'm going to stand up and say so. I've given a couple of uh, speeches on the Senate floor. I'll continue to do that and if I need to do it with a vote, I'll do that as well. I just won't vote against uh, the president uh, just for spite. Senator, thanks so hey, much for you doing bet. this. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Speakeasy. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, rate us, and leave a review. As always, we appreciate your feedback. And good news, Speakeasy is now available on Spotify, so check us out there too. Thanks for listening. Talk soon. Talk soon.